I was traveling to one of the islands in Vanuatu to do a medical clinic over there. And um, she was elated, to say the least, about what was happening. And uh, she sent us a picture of her standing beside uh, this guy who is the last custom chief of the Northern SA tribe. And uh, this person, he, he came to see the medical clinic being built, and Rachel was introduced to him. And Rachel said, I spent two days with this tribe. Um, and there was a building behind them where, where they're going to have a studio apartment available to, to the Pitos when they go up there. And the area is known for its resistance. But she met the chief. And the chief performed a ceremony with her and the local pastor. Sorry, I'm trying to read through a bunch of texts here. And this is what she says. She said, so I was given a ceremonial rock that is incredibly old and revealed by his tribe, and it offers protection to me and my family, and it allows me to move about the mountain as his daughter. It's a long story, but the pastor was in disbelief because the act of the chief and a woven mat that I had to give to him in return will open yet another door for the gospel to be preached in his village. And I had to accept his offer of protection and provision, but I also made my own counteroffer and let him know that God was my heavenly father for eternity, and he could act as my father on the island. But one day my prayer would be to welcome him into our family, the family of God. And so I was given permission to practice the gospel and preach Christianity and preach Christ in and around his village with his full protection and blessing. Continue to pray for the Pitos, because God is doing something. Pray for them. Um, we are going through the book of Luke, and we're, we're, we're looking at the book of Luke verse by verse. And we're noticing that Jesus has this Special love for the poor and the destitute and the broken, the brokenhearted and the outcast of society. And as we're going through the book of Luke, we're, we're already recognizing through the first three chapters how important the Holy Spirit is through the book of Luke. And we talked about the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. We talked about the baptism of Jesus. And right after that baptism, Luke talks about the genealogy of Jesus, ending with this statement, the son of this person, the son of that person, the son of this other person, finally with the son of Adam and the son of God. And we said that this family tree that Jesus was in included this whole list of people who, some of them were great people, but at the end of the day, a lot of them were not so great people. And in spite of that, Jesus came 
to be part of this messy family tree. And our challenge last week was to walk in the identity that we have in Jesus Christ. Not in our family lineage, not in our own accomplishments, not in our sin, but walk in who Jesus says you are. And so this morning I want to talk to you about something that a lot of us face pretty regularly. And sometimes we don't face this very well because we don't get it. How many of you have the most unusual the most evil thoughts that come to you from time to time. All of your hands should be up right now. When I was younger, I used to watch game shows, trying to figure out 10 ways to beat the system without it getting caught. Does that bother you when that happens? I mean, you could be praying, and all of a sudden, something so strange would come out of left field, and interrupt your thoughts. A lot of us, we're just waiting for this day to come where we're going to fight some massive spiritual battle, some kind of temptation, and we're going to get the victory over it, and then we're never going to be tempted anymore. That's not how this works. is isn't true. So this morning, we're going to talk about temptation and how to effectively deal with it. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verses 1 onwards. Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, and you can underline that or highlight that in your Bible. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan And he was led around again by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when when those days had ended, he became hungry. We're just going to stop right there. I wish I could tell you the devil wasn't real. I wish I could tell you that the devil is some kind of fantasy. I wish I could tell you that the devil was a figment of your imagination, but I can't do that because the scripture bears witness to the reality of Satan. Scripture says that he's prideful. Scripture says that he's the father of lies, that he is a murderer, that he wants to be worshipped. He wages war against God and his people. He's known if you translate Satan or the devil if you translate that from Hebrew or Greek, he's, he's known as the accuser. This is what it says in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so this morning, I, I want to tell you that you should never think that because you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that you're not going to be afflicted by the devil. I mean, here's Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and he's about to face the devil. Never think that because you are led by the Spirit that you're going to be away from the attacks of Satan. 
Don't assume that because I'm a child of God that I'm going to be, I'm going to be kept safe from all of these temptations. But if Jesus went through temptations by Satan, and if you have asked Jesus into your heart and into your life, and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, then expect to go through temptations. You ever notice when these temptations came? It was right after the baptism of Jesus. You remember when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, this, this miracle happened. The heavens opened up, the Spirit descended like a dove, and there was a voice. It was the voice of the Heavenly Father, and the Father affirms Jesus saying, This is my Son. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And right after that, He goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. Anyone here ever been in situations where man, you just received a blessing? Or, or you experienced the presence of God in some special way, and all of a sudden you were tempted. Maybe, maybe you felt the presence of God in your time of prayer, in your time of worship, in your life group, or at a Sunday morning service, and then all of a sudden you go home and you doubt, hey, maybe that wasn't God. I prayed for that job, and I, and I got that job. And I praised God for it. But then again, my resume was awesome. Did, did I really hear God ask me to do this crazy thing? Or was it that burrito that I ate last night? But I'll tell you that when you do the will of heaven, you become a target to the enemy. Verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Here's Jesus, and, and he's been fasting for 40 days, fasting for five or six weeks. And if you have fasted for any amount of time, you'll know that you get hungry. And Jesus is hungry. And at this point, the devil is counting on Jesus being physically weak. So usually when you're physically weak, you're also mentally kind of drained and emotionally you are vulnerable and the devil is counting on that. I mean, you, you know how this works, right? When, when you're physically weak, you'll do anything to cure that problem. You'll do anything to get your strength back. And in this first temptation, Satan begins to question God's provision. He says, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. He's not questioning if Jesus is really the son of God. It's better translated, since you are the son of God. He knows who Jesus is. Since you have all power, why don't you just use your power and satisfy yourself? Since you're the promised one, right, since all of that is true, hey, why isn't your heavenly father providing for you? Why would your father let you starve to death? You know, at the end of the last section that we studied last week, the genealogy ended with, 
Jesus, the son of Adam, the son of God. And now the same temptation that was in the Garden of Eden is going on right here in the wilderness. You remember back in Genesis, there was that tree and Satan comes up and he says, hey, why don't you eat from this tree? And Adam says, well, we can eat from any tree except for that tree. And Satan says, did God really say that? I mean, why would God keep something good from you? What sort of God do you really serve? And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. How many times have you had that thought or that feeling? I'm a child of God. I mean, I am a follower of Jesus. Why isn't God taking care of me? Why isn't God getting me that job? Why isn't God getting me that ministry position? Why isn't God doing this for me? Why isn't God doing that for me? Has that ever crossed your mind? Why does that person have that car? Why does that person have that house? Why does that couple look so happy in their marriage? What about this? Did God really say I couldn't have that drink? Did God really say I couldn't be with that person? Does God really want to prevent me from being happy? I mean, what I'll do is I'll rearrange my spending. I'll I'll give less in my tithes and offerings, and, and, and then I'll go get that car. I'll go get that house. Or some of us do this. We say, hey, listen, I'm going to go ask that person out on a date. After all, what's the worst that can happen? I know God wants me to be happy, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands at this point. But Jesus says it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. While the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God provided bread for them every single day. It was called manna. And the people of Israel, they they had to rely on God for his daily provisions. But some of them, what they tried to do is is they would try to store it for two or three days. And they said, hey, there's plenty here. Let's just store this. And when they did that, the next day, all of the bread went rotten. There were maggots eating away at the bread. See, some of them tried to take matters into their own hands. I mean, what what if God doesn't come through tomorrow? We need to have our basic needs met. Let's handle some of this on our own. And when they tried to handle things their way, it was met with disaster. So what about you? You try to take things into your own hands? Some of you, maybe you feel as though you're in the wilderness, like, like you can't hear God right now. You can't sense his presence. You, you can't hear God responding to, to, to your needs of loneliness and your needs of finances and your basic needs for food and shelter and clothing. And I want to encourage you to stay faithful. Stay faithful. And trust his timing. Don't take matters into your hands 
God is asking you this morning to just wait. Wait. Wait on him. Wait on the Lord. You might not like his timing, but I will tell you from experience, he always comes through. So just wait on the Lord. Second temptation in verse 5. Satan led him up and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I will give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. You know, Satan's here, and he begins to question the promise of God. He says, Jesus, look, I know why you've came. You've come to rule the whole world. Satan knew that one of the promises of the Messiah was that the Messiah was going to have world domination. The Bible says that one day Jesus is going to come and he's going to rule and reign over the whole world. But before that, Jesus was going to redeem his people. And it was going to come through pain. and It was going to come through suffering with him headed towards a cross. And here's Satan, and he says, why do it the hard way? Why do it the painful way? You came to redeem the earth or rule the earth. I know what the promise says. I mean, we could just make a deal today. Just worship me, and I'll give you whatever you want. Satan says, listen, you don't have to wait. There's no need for pain. There's no need for the cross. Just indulge me. You can have immediate satisfaction, Jesus. Why wait for all of those other promises to be fulfilled at all? All you have to do is do this simple thing, and you can have instant gratification. In your life, why wait for the promises of God to be fulfilled? I mean, why don't you just take matters into your hands? Why don't don't you just do something about the issues that you're dealing with? I mean, doesn't God want you to be happy? I mean, if it makes you happy, why not just do it? If, if it doesn't hurt anybody, what's the harm? You like her, she likes you. I mean, we can talk about this marriage thing later. Maybe you're thinking, man, you don't understand the stress that I'm in. It's just one hit. It's just one drink. Or, or what about something else? What about this? What about, hey, I'll just throw this on my card. After all, we need this thing for our house. I mean, we, we are a culture that loves instant gratification. To the point that if our Wi-Fi is down to one bar, we get upset. Jesus answered and said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. You know, a true follower of Jesus says this, I'm going to wait on the Lord for that. I'm going to wait for God's promise to be fulfilled. If he wants me to have it, he'll do it. He'll do it in his time. He'll do it his own way, not my own. And see, ultimately, this, this is a question of worship. And I want to ask you this morning, who do you worship? 
or what do you worship? If there's anything the devil wants, it's for you to worship anyone or anything other than Jesus. Did you know that everyone worships? Not everyone wants to call it worship. Not everyone wants to think that what we're doing is worship. But everybody worships something or someone. Everyone has some ultimate thing that you center your life around. Something or someone that you hope is going to bring meaning to your life. Some people, they worship money or success or power or entertainment or science or knowledge or popularity. And some people, they worship their family. But you know, the Bible says that all things were made by Jesus for Jesus. And that means you and I were created to worship him alone. And so there's really only one who's really worthy of your worship. That's why there's nothing in this world that's ever going to satisfy you. We keep on looking, we keep on striving, we keep on buying, but nothing delivers satisfaction. Nothing brings that deep satisfaction that we're longing for. But when you live with Jesus at the center of all that you do, that's when you find fulfillment. The third temptation, verse 9. Satan led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And so I want to tell you that Satan knows the Bible. He knows the Bible better than you do. He knows what to bring in. He knows what to take out. And so he's going to quote scripture, but what he likes to do is he likes to take this whole thing out of context. He says to Jesus here, he says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And then he continues with something else, but there's a key component in that scripture that he leaves out. It says, he will guard you in all of your ways. And so what Satan is suggesting was not the way of God. What Satan is suggesting is not the way of Scripture. Satan says, let's give the Father a chance to prove that he's a protector. Jesus, why don't you just jump because God's angels will bear you up. Jesus, do something miraculous to prove that God will protect you. Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. It's at that point that he, he ends his temptation for now. There's going to be more to come. And, and when is that going to be? Well, it's going to be at just the right time, at an opportune time. So I want to ask you a question this morning. How do you resist the devil? How do you resist Satan? Jesus says, 
you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And I wonder how often you and I test our Lord. I think it's pretty often. Like we go faster than the speed limit, right? And then we pray, God, don't let me get a ticket. Or some people, we walk into a bar and we pray, God, don't let me have a drink. Or we watch porn and we pray, Lord, help me with my lust. Man, you can't expect to walk into temptation on purpose and then pray, deliver us from evil. What you need to do is stay away from it. Don't deliberately test the Lord, your God. Don't put yourself in that situation. That's the first thing you need to do. The second thing you need to do is be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the third thing you need to do is stand your ground. The Bible says in James 4, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And the third thing that you need to do is study your Bible. These things are going to help you in your times of temptations. Don't deliberately walk into situations where you know you are weak. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up. Stand your ground and study your Bible. You know, one of our biggest problems in the church is biblical illiteracy. There are so many people who don't read their Bible. There are so many people who don't open their Bible. There are so many people who don't know what's in the Bible. And and those of you who don't know your Bible, you're going to be easily swayed. You're going to be e- you will easily fall for the temptations of the enemy. You will easily fall for things that might sound good but may not be biblical. And as your pastor, man, it is, it is my desire to equip you to do the work of ministry by making you aware of how important it is to live biblically. You need to know how important it is to respond biblically. It's important for you to raise your families biblically. It's important for you to raise your kids biblically. We want to be known as a people who are of the book and of the spirit. That's who we are. But you will never know the power of God if you don't know the scriptures. And you will never understand God's purpose for you if you don't know the scripture. And you will never understand God's desire for your life if you don't know the scriptures. I'll close with this and and then we'll prepare for communion this morning. What would it take for you to sell out? What is there in this world that would cause you to compromise your faith? Is it sexual temptation? Is it financial gain? Is it loneliness or lying or cheating? Is it, is it your pride? Whatever it is, you can count on those things being on your path as you follow Jesus. But what is your plan of attack? 
What is your plan for a defense? How are you going to equip yourself when temptations come? Are you just going to hope that the attacks of the enemy will just go away? I mean, if I wait it out, he'll go away. If you do nothing, you are setting yourself up for defeat. You need to develop a Bible reading plan. It's something that we're going to talk more about in the new year. You need, to, you need to develop a structure in your schedule to get into the Word. You can't be too busy for this. Well, pastor, you don't understand my life, and you don't understand my schedule, and you don't understand all the responsibilities that I have. And I want to tell you this morning, you can't afford to be too busy to get into the Word. Because of one thing, the enemy wants to destroy you. Not just to tempt you. His goal is to destroy you. And he wants you to go through sin. And he wants you to go through shame and guilt. And what you need to do is you need to do what Jesus did. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And rely on on the word of God and stand fast in your commitment to worship Jesus alone. Jesus was able to overcome the devil by knowing the word, by obeying the word, and you can do this too. But we need to know the book. We need to dive into the book. If we are a people of the book, then we wouldn't be ignorant of the book. If you don't read it, if you don't obey it, the book is useless. And so this morning, I want you to also know that all of the things that you are facing, Jesus faced. Did he face sexual temptations? Yes. Did he face monetary temptations? Yes. Did he face power temptations? Yes, he did. Every struggle that I have, Jesus knows what I'm going through. There is no area of evil that he doesn't identify with me. In fact, Hebrew says this, he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet he was without sin. And in 1 John, it says this, if you do sin, we have an advocate to the Father who is always interceding on our behalf. And so sometimes when I go through that dark valley and I don't understand why I'm there and I don't know why this has happened and I don't know why this problem has come, it's so good to know that whenever I cry out, Jesus knows what I'm going through and he keeps telling the Father, I've been there, Father. I understand what he's dealing with. I understand what he's experiencing. Father, I died for him, and so he is complete in you. I don't think God is going to take away the valley. But there are some footprints through the valley, and I'll tell you, I've only grown closer to the Lord in the valley of the shadow of death. So lastly, I want to remind you that Satan is a defeated enemy. 1 John 4 says this, You are of God, little children, 
and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This morning, I'm so glad today that Jesus was willing to go to Calvary for us. I'm so glad that he was willing to go to that cross for me and for you. And even though I am tempted, the victory has already been won. So thanks be to God that redemption is ours. Victory is complete. Hang in there, Jesus follower. Just hang in there. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's prepare our hearts for communion this morning. As we approach the the table this morning, I want you to know that the meaning behind this table was, was initially meant to be defeat. As the Pharisees saw Jesus nailed to the cross, they thought, we defeated this Jesus. And I'm sure Satan thought the same thing. We have defeated this Jesus. But even though they imprisoned this innocent man, and even though they beat him and whipped him, and even though they nailed him to that cross and placed his broken body in a tomb. And even though they sealed that tomb so no one can go in and no one could go out, Scripture says that on the third day Jesus rose again. And he won the victory over the grave. And he won the victory over sin. And he won victory over death. And this morning our Jesus has won the victory and you don't need to live as though you're defeated. Put your hope in the victorious one. Put your hope in the all-powerful one. Put your hope in the resurrected one. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus went through such humiliation and he broke his body and he shed his blood so that you can walk in victory today.